Good morning, brethren. This morning I wanted to get into Titus chapter 3. And by the way, it is so good to be with you, to sit down and look at the scriptures and read them and just talk about what it means to be in Jesus Christ. You know, as we've been going through these studies, We've been seeing all kinds of ammunitions from 1 Timothy all the way through that to the first two chapters of Titus. We've had such a good time in understanding that the pastor is a man who is called, who is ordained by God himself, not just a position to be uh, entered into because of, you know, it sounds good or for financial reasons or what have you, but uh, the authority that has been given the man for the pastorate to speak and to teach God's word to those that he has put before him is such a privilege and such a responsibility. Uh, As the years roll on, I see this more and more acute as apostasy and false teaching have entered the church like no other time in history. And I just, uh, I pray that these would be not only instructive to you, but they would also be meaningful to you as we've spent time together uh, time is uh, is fleeing. Time is, is quickly running uh, its course, and this world is definitely heading for judgment. And and uh, the Apostle Peter says, uh, judgment begins in the household of God. And if it begin at us first, what will become of those who, who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? So today I just wanted to get into Titus chapter 3. And uh, let me read down a little bit, and then we'll get back into our discussion. So uh, relax, uh, and let's uh, just enjoy this time together. Titus chapter 3, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared toward men, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such is such a person is warped in sinning, being self-condemned. When I set Armius to you, or Tychius, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Send Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their journey with haste, that they may lack nothing. And let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. All who are with me greet you. 
Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. What a wonderful thing it is for us pastors, as teachers of the Word of God, to be not only excited, but to realize that this life and this authority has been given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The God of the universe picked us and gave us this responsibility. He has a work that he wants us to do, brethren, and that is to shepherd the church of God. You read in Acts 20, Paul's cry to the elders of Ephesus is to shepherd, to feed the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. This is exciting. This is where we, where the rubber meets the road, and we sit down as we have for for all these times, brethren, and we're talking together, and I want to admonish and warm you because I love you. I want to admonish my, my brethren in the pastorate to learn to love your congregation. Learn to love with the love of Jesus Christ. Ask God to give you that love for those that have sit before you, that you may speak of these things in love. Yes, if there is rebuking to be involved or, or discipline, it would always be in love that people might see and understand that the Christian life is the resurrected Christ living his life through us. So as we start to look at these things, look at verse 1 of chapter 3. Again, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be ready, or excuse me, to obey and to be ready for every good work. You know, be subject to those that... that uh, that, you know, are before us, whether, you know, for the fulfilling of the law, or the establishment of the law. Uh, you know, you look in um, in the 8th chapter, I believe it is, or excuse me, 13th chapter of Romans, and uh, I'm just a little bit excited today because, you know, th- this life is an authentic life. You know, uh, the, the pastor has a unique position that he might show those that are sitting in front of him the authentic life, how this life is so... A dynamic, it's authentic. The Apostle Paul, remember in Philippians 3.10, he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So we are in authority and we obey those because we know that God has set certain uh, institutions in society to keep the, the peace, so to speak. I mean, they're ordained of God. And the man of God will see these things and, and have respect you know, one of the signs of today is absolute anarchy. Insolent uh, people, insolence seems to run the society today where not only kids being disobedient to parents, but pe- even people in the church not having a rightful understanding and respect of, of how God has set up things to be, to be obeyed and, and to follow. Uh, he says in verse 2, to speak evil of no one, but to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. You know, look at, uh, brethren, that word peaceable. Um, wow. If you take a good concordance and look through the Bible uh, for the word peace, uh, it's all cultivated in the fact that when Jesus said, the peace I give to you is not as the world gives, but the peace what I give to you is, is peaceable. It's the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. You look at Psalm uh, 30, 37. Um, talking about peace a couple of times in that psalm. Mark the blameless man, for the end of him is peace, and so forth. So peace is, is a very uh, viable, obtainable characteristic of our life in Jesus Christ is peace. 
kindness um, will be shown through uh, through those that generally grab the Christian life. You know, they're confident. They don't need to be uh, lording it over those, but they have peace. They might be able to jo- show Jesus Christ with gentleness and have respect for men. You know, for we ourselves, verse 3, were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Doesn't it sound like the world, Lord, you know, that, that the Bible so eloquently lays down? We know what it's like out there in the world. We know what human nature is like. And we ourselves once lived this way. We were disobedient. Going back to verse 1, we're disobedient to the rulers and authorities. We were arrogant. We weren't showing all humility to all men. We were arrogant. We were serving our lusts. We were serving our pleasure. We were living in malice. What malice is, is cutting away at somebody, is digging at somebody, uh, is is hateful, uh, envying, always wanting what somebody else wanted, not being content with what we have, hateful and hating one another. This is a characteristic of, I'm sorry to say, most times, even in the church. You know, when we, uh, when we look at, at 2 Timothy, which we'll be getting into a little bit later on down the road, you look at Timothy chap- 2 Timothy, Timothy chapter 3, and you read about perilous times will come, men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, or irreconcilable, slanders, without self-control, brutal, headstrong, traitors, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Brethren, this is not only the outside world of what the outside world is. This has crept into the church because the next verse, verse 5, says having a form of godliness but denying its power. From such of these turn away. And we see a little bit of the same uh, category here is we're back in Titus 3, 3. We once were disobedient. We once were serving various lusts and pleasures. You know, our way and our pleasures were the main thing for our life. That was what we did. We lived in malice, uh, hating one another, envil, envying, and we lived this way. This is what happens it creeps into the church when we are not taught correctly that this life is a dynamic life. It's a changed life. You know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, remember, if any man in Christ, he's a new creation. But look at verse 4, real close. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared toward man, how did it appear to us? Not by works of righteousness in verse 5, which we have done, But according to his mercy, he saved us. You know, God didn't say, you know what? Clean up your act and I'll come down and save you. God saved us while we were in our filthy, ongoing, life, pleasure-seeking self-centeredness. You know, one of the greatest verses in the Bible, brethren, I believe, in demonstrating this is Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his love toward us. In this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how much he loves you. 
And he says in in verse 5, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Washing of regeneration. He washed us. He made us a new creation. We regenerated. We're anew. We're new creatures in Christ. Jesus, remember in John chapter 5, verse 24, said we've been brought from death into life. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, speaking of the Spirit, that he translated us or he baptized us into the body of Christ. So now we're a new creation. The renewing of the Holy Spirit. That, that Jesus ascended to the Father, and every person from that time on that believed in Jesus Christ is paying the penalty and taking their sins upon himself upon the cross, and thereby pleasing the Father being bruised in their place. And he rose from the dead. Now he sends the Spirit, and the Spirit regenerates us and and makes us new. And he is constantly washing us with the water of the Word. We're new creatures in Christ. This is a dynamic life. This is a changed lifestyle. A lifestyle who once had nothing but self-interests and angles and, and selfish desires and had various lusts that were living in malice to all of a sudden a changed person that loves and has humility, that puts others' interests above themselves and walks in an attitude of peace and joy that are delivered by the Lord himself. Look at verse 6. Whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. He poured out abundantly. You know, you know when the rock, when the when the, the Hebrews were going through the wilderness and, and Moses struck the rock and the water came out, it wasn't a little trickle. It gushed forth, uh, able to quench the thirst of at least 2 million, they estimate, people, maybe a little bit more. Jesus in John chapter 7, when he said, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. From his innermost, his part of his belly, from his innermost being, shall gush forth rivers of living water. He poured this on us through Christ, our Savior. It's not just a trickle. It's not just a hint. It's a dynamic life to be lived. It's something that changes us, and it's all because of the mercy of God. The regeneration, the making us anew, a new creature, a new creation in Christ Jesus. He says in verse 7, having been justified by his grace. We should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 3, verse 24. He said, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God sent forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith. And what propitiation means, we've been, God has been propitiated. He is satisfied. Christ was a satisfying sacrifice on our behalf. And God accepted it and was pleased. And he proved it to the world by raising him from the dead. So again, in verse 7, saying, Having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Brethren, We have said so many times what biblical hope is. I hope you all know this by now. 
and have all memorized the meaning of what hope is in the Bible. It's that confident expectation that what God had said, he's not only willing, but he's able also to perform. That's biblical hope. Wow, of eternal life. You know, when the, when the world now uh, is trying to wed um, pure doctrine of Jesus Christ with with Roman Catholicism and, and the the uh, you know the Eucharist, where you have to take the you know wafer and the bread and are seeing the wafer and the wine and the wafer is the literal body of Christ and so on and so forth, and, and we won't get into that. But if you look at that doctrine, that doctrine says that you must do something to gain a right standing. You must do something to gain that full pardon, that full uh, acceptance with God. Not so. The Bible says that by nothing we have done, but by the mercy of God and His grace, He saved us. That all who would turn to Christ as the remedy for their lost condition, that God saves us by grace And this mercy caused the door to be opened up, that grace might be flooded in abundantly on us by Christ. Period. You know, you look at Hebrews chapter 10, I think it's verse 19, he says, We enter in by boldness by the blood of Christ. It's only by him and him alone. That pure doctrine, brethren, is being eroded today. He says in verse 8, he says, This is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Jesus, the Bible said, went about doing good. It doesn't, re- it doesn't fall on the circumstances around us or anything that is good of those around us. It falls on the fact that we do good and we are kind and we love and we have mercy because Jesus Christ has love, kindness, and mercy. Remember the Bible says mercy triumphs over judgment. And this is a life that is foreign to human nature. But this is a life that Jesus Christ came to give. Look at verse 9. He says, but avoid foolish disputes genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. They're a waste of time to nitpick uh, and to dispute. You know, there's some people out there that they will hear truth for years, and yet just by their very nature, they want to dispute. They want to cause uh, dissensions. I remember a man who sat under me for for years and... and, uh, he just wanted to argue. He wanted to kind of put that uh, contention there. Always wanted to, you know, argue or, or you know, question. And it's it's good to question, but it's good to question reverently and respectfully to the one that you sit under. But there are some out there that love to strive. They love to argue. They love to dispute. You know, that goes into the fact of verse 10 where it says, Reject the device of man. You know, some men are honestly asking and desiring to learn. There are some men that are constantly bucking you. Men try to trip up the Lord Jesus all the time, these religious leaders. And yet we are also told to reject the device of man 
or as the King James says, re- reject a heretic. Because brethren, as, as time goes on and we near the end, heretics are more and more and more and more out there. We need to expose them. We need to, to reject them. And we need to show them who they are. We need to protect the sheep that we have before us. And that is another aspect of being a shepherd, a pastor, is we're called to protect our flock. We're called to spiritually protect those that have been placed before us. Because verse 11 says, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. You know, I read a book just not too long ago that was enthusiastically given by a guy that I'd met just recently. And the book wasn't too bad, but in the last chapter he was writing about uh, paraphrases and, and misleading modern translations. And, and in there he put up a couple good points, but he said, but I'm not at liberty to expose what they are and, and, and who they are. I disagree, brethren. We are called to expose. We are called to protect. We are called to warn. If you were leading some people in a in a in the desert and knew that just up ahead of them there was a little pit in the ground full of vipers, would you not warn them of those vipers? Would you not diligently warn them to stay away from that? That's what we're looking at. They're snakes. They're vipers. They're false teachers. They're there is Satan is very alive and active in this world today, and we as pastors need to understand the pure doctrine, the pure word of God, and reject those that would just dispute for disputing reasons, reject those that have false doctrine, reject those that, that want to take the marvelous love and grace of God and turn it into something we have to do to make us accepted. Now, we are accepted, the Bible says, in the beloved. We are accepted because Christ Jesus died upon the cross and was the sacrifice for our sin. And by believing in that, I am free from my sin. I am a new creation in Christ. All things become new. We now become ambassadors of that pure doctrine. You know, let me put it bluntly to those that are listening to me, or maybe you might share this. God loves you, and God sent his son to be your savior. God sent his son to take your sin upon himself on the cross. And God struck the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross as the punishment for your sin. And by coming and believing in that, I am justified from all things. My sin is gone. I am a new creation in Christ. God fills me with this Holy Spirit. I'm regenerated. I am now his possession. I am new, a new creature in Christ. And I rejoiced, and three days later, God raised him from the dead. You know, I've had people say, you know, well, how do you know? How do you know that you're forgiven? How do you know that you that you have the correct doctrine of Christ? How do you know that if you were to die right now, that you would go to heaven? You know what my answer is? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. God raised him from the dead. I am so confident that when I die, I will be in heaven solely because my Lord Jesus is there. Not because I've done anything good. Not because I've earned it. Not because I know the Bible. Not because of any of these things. I will be in heaven solely because my Lord Jesus Christ is there for me in the presence of God. 
making not only intercession for me, being my forerunner, he's gone before me, but he's waiting for me. And he is also, according to John 14 and elsewhere, he is there preparing a place for me. And if he's preparing a place for me, he says he will come again to receive me unto himself, that where I am, or he is, that's where I will be also. That's our plight, brethren. Are we excited about these things? You know, as we conclude our talk today, and I can't wait to get into Second Timothy, Paul ends the last four verses, you know, to send certain people to him diligently. He's spending the winter in this area. He wants uh, Zenos, the lawyer in chapter 13, Apollos to send him on their journey with haste. And again, he ends this in verse 14. He says, and let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. Ah, unfruitful. The Christian life is full of fruit. You know, recently of moving to Arizona, I, I live in an area where there's citrus trees, orange trees, lemon trees, grapefruit, all over the place. And when you come upon a tree and you see it full and loaded with fruit, it is a beautiful thing to behold versus a tree that, that is whatever kind of sick and lethargic for whatever reason, it, the fruit's sparse. And, and that's what we need to do. Is we need, our life is to be full of fruit. You know, John uh, talks a lot about this in his gospel account, and that where Jesus himself is saying fruit. He wants you to bear fruit. And it is the Father prunes that you might bear more fruit. It's a fruitful life. It's a life that is always vibrant and always full of fruit. And it's always to meet others' needs. It's always out of love and gentleness and reverence and respect. Wow. I love the way that that Paul ends this. Verse 15, all who are with me greet you. And greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. You see, brethren, you know, it's 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 one thing to understand what certain words mean, but if you look at the end of a lot of Paul's epistles and how he speaks, he always says, Grace be with you all. You know why? Grace is what saves us. Unmerited favor, unearned favor, nothing we've done. Grace is what keeps us. And grace is what's going to bring us into the Father's house. But from grace, and because of our being regenerated by the Holy Spirit, and the love of God that's been poured out, fruit is born out of that. So many people try to live the Christian life, and they try to, by their own energy, by their own effort, thinking that God will be pleased. God is pleased when we abide in Christ as the branch abides in the vine, and it naturally bears fruit. And this is such a wonderful position to be in. I have personally seen people that have had this truth dawn on them. And their Christian life takes off and their life literally becomes new. And they walk about joyfully because they know that is the risen Christ that lives in them. That is producing the fruit by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to end today in our discussion just to remind us of an absolutely wonderful passage. And this is in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul describes this as the Christian life is the outliving and in living Christ. Listen to this. 
Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Brethren, I pray that today as we think about these things and as we've gone over now uh, this this little epistle to Titus, we would see that these things are exciting. This is the genuine and authentic Christian life. And by this life, God is well pleased. I so much appreciate our time together and I look forward to the next time we get together. And uh, But I just pray that, that we would be renewed day by day in the word, that we washed in the word together, and that we would go out and feed the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Brother, until next time, God bless you, and I'll see you soon.